We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Pacer Nation, welcome back to another episode of Setting the Pace, and we have a loaded show today. We've got Mark Schindler, Rhett Bauer, and Tony East is dropping in this week to talk all things Pacers with us. So uh, today we're going to talk at eight Wait, why questions. did you just say Tony's name like he was more important than me? Because you guys come on every week. <laughs> That's the thing. Wow. Afterthought, afterthought. And Tony Do you guys East. hear that inflection in my, hey. in my name? That exactly. Said, uh, That's exactly hey. what I heard. I'm like, man. what are we doing here, man? Maybe hey. I'm not coming back next week. All right. You <laughs> afterthoughts can answer after me every time. Let's yeah, that's so. okay. <laughs> I see in, the hierarchy. But in all seriousness, we uh, I've got I've come up with eight questions today to ask these great, wonderful guests, all three of them. Uh, I want to emphasize that so no one gets their feelings hurt. And uh, just uh, just kidding. But we uh, we have eight questions here today, and I'm not going to give my answers because you guys probably don't care too much what I have to say since you hear me all the time. But our guests, I'm sure you're curious to hear what they have to say. So let's just get right into it. Question one. I'll start with let's start with Rhett. So we don't make anybody get upset. <laughs> well, you're uh, saving Tony for last now. So no, we'll, Tony we'll... will go second. <laughs> okay. Well, you can go last, Mark, because I know what yours is probably going to be. So this is question number one. Give me one thing you like and one thing you haven't liked so far from Nate Bjorkren. So, Rhett, we'll start with you. Uh, one thing that I've liked is the aggression on both sides of the ball, which has been a double-edged sword, especially defensively. Um, but the one thing that I have not liked has been the starters' minutes, and I've been very vocal about that, and I'm pretty sure I just stole both Tony and Mark's answers. <laughs> no comment. Okay. Yeah, we. Uh, I did a mailbag on Locked on Pacers like Monday, I think, and someone asked a very similar question. Uh, I think something I like, I, I'll think of something else. Is though like, I feel like he's using guys to their like more actualized role or like what they should be doing. Mm-hmm. And when I say that, I don't mean like for everybody it's exactly perfect what they should be doing. But a lot of guys under McMillan were not doing exactly what they should be doing given their skill set, and that has pivoted to more appropriate roles for guys like 
everybody basically on the perimeter playing on ball defense is doing something better on D this year. Uh, Miles is in a better defensive role this year. Miles is in a better offensive role. Sabonis is in a better offensive role. Brogdon is. Um, McDermott is. You know, you could go on and on. I think he's more better at actualizing guys this season. Uh, I don't know if this is a Bjorkman thing, but I'm going to pretend it is because we need to have some diversified answers here. Inconsistency on defense. Uh, that's probably some players there, you know, Nate Bjorkerson out there rotating from the weak side. So obviously uh, I'm not going to kill him for that, but I think against the Clippers, Sabonis said after the game that, you know, it's part of the trouble they had stopping the Clippers is they just switched defensive schemes so many times, right? They were in man and they were in triangle and two and then box and one, you know, it's like maybe that the dynamic defense is, is crucial in stopping them on any one given possession, but when it's changing so much throughout the game, it's like hard to get in a rhythm defensively and continue to get stopped. So, uh, their inconsistent defense from the team this year maybe has something to do with him experimenting a lot and you know not sticking to any particular scheme. So that's that's a dislike for me. Yeah. So for me, uh, the thing that I like is the offense. I mean, I I can't speak enough on the fact that something happens after the initial action is like amazing compared to what we watched last year. Um, you know, I, I think that's been huge. Just the fact that there's something happening other than I mean, just even looking at in in the series against Miami. Um, as my dog hands me his goose. Uh, thanks, bud. Um, like, I mean, in Miami, Malcolm Brogdon would drive to the rim. Nothing would happen. He would end up kicking back out, and and the, the possession would just kind of die or end up in an isolation. Uh, now there's actual cutting built in. Uh, there are second-side actions happening. I like that a lot. Uh, what I don't like, um, I don't want to say that the front office and coaching staff have not fulfilled on what they're what they kind of set out to do but I feel like you know especially in talking last night about you know Goga not playing at all um I talked about this on my pod in depth last night um I just think with that they've been playing they've been doing things very differently from how Nate McMillan did them but with a lot of the same problems that we're still talking about like playing more rigid and like you're making changes in terms of scheme but uh, I mean, there are 13 guys on the bench for a reason. And I think when you're not giving them looks and, and you know, so much was talked about developing younger guys on the roster um, and just trying to find new looks. It doesn't have to be every single night with the same guys, but, um, you know, you find minutes here and there for somebody. And I, I think through 14 games, I think we have enough of a sample size to, to be a little bit concerned about that. And so that's where I'm coming from on that. But overall, I mean, I've been pretty, pretty positive about Nate Yorker so far. Yeah, I'd like, I'd like to get some of your guys' feedback on what Mark just said there, you know, with not giving some of the younger guys a chance and not maybe getting a little bit deeper into that bench. So, Tony, uh, what do you think the, the reasoning is for all that? Well, Alex, the flip side question I wanted to ask you, I was going to pretend because you said you weren't going to answer question, is what do you think Nate Bjorkren hates and loves about us, the media, so far? But uh, I will happily <laughs> talk about young guys if that's what you want. So... <laughs> To be fair, because of injuries, most of the season, he hasn't really had to make vet versus young guy choices, right? Like the the event, truly fully healthy, yeah, maybe he'll have to make an Aaron Holiday McConnell decision, but I don't think the Pacers will ever be healthy enough this season that he has to do that. Or I guess Sumner Holiday McConnell decision, but Sumner's played better than both of those guys. So um, he hasn't had to make that decision yet, and every other player on the roster it's very obvious who shouldn't shouldn't play really last night was the first time we saw him have to decide what to do and he went with Jakar over Goga much to the disappointment of I believe everyone on this panel uh I guess if you wanted to 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 fall back on something else he started Aaron Holiday for a very long time despite some obvious offensive struggles from Aaron Holiday in a non-ball dominant role 
Uh, and I think that could help with his development as a young guy, getting more off ball reps and playing more with guys that, you know, he's probably going to be on the team for a while given uh, his age and contract situation. So that, that I think he's actually okay playing the young guys until uh, the, the Mavs game when he just totally decided not to do the very obvious young guy thing. So I think most of the season it's been fine. I'm okay with it. Yeah. Rhett, any thoughts from you on that? Yeah, I would push back on that a little bit, just that Sumner, I feel like, should get more minutes. And it, he did get 20 minutes uh, in both the Clippers game and the Portland game. So I guess he's gotten some run, but he's just been playing better than Aaron, I feel like. Um, Has Aaron played more than him since, like, Sumner started starting? Yeah, uh, uh, Sumner only played yeah. 14 and a half minutes yesterday. And Aaron played 26, I think. So Aaron had 30 more seconds against Portland, and then he had uh, <laughs> okay. Okay. the whole 30 <laughs> seconds. <Wow. laughs> he did have two minutes less uh, against the Clippers. So, uh, By the way, Robert Williams, we have oh a new time goodness. lord in yeah. town, and his name there, is Rep Bauer. Next time Aaron Allen hits a three, I'm going to be like, wow, that 30 extra seconds he got. Is. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's key <laughs> development, you know? Uh, <laughs> You're right. I, I agree that those minutes should be more even. I did not know that it was that bad last night. Yeah. But no, That's because I, Ed was so I good. Ed was yeah. fantastic last night, man. He was. Oh. Yeah, I did. I didn't get a chance to watch last night's game, so that's on me. So that's why I'm not going to do much of a recap. Obviously, uh, I've just been super busy. But you know, it it is interesting. Though. I, I agree with a lot of what you guys have said. You know, the minutes are a bit of a concern, but there's also a lot of good things to like about it. And you know, what I I think me and Mark and Red got into this a couple weeks ago. I said I think part of the reason he hasn't dipped into the Sumner pool yet is just because as much as we want to see some of these young guys develop. I said I still think that mandate from from the top of the Pacers organization down to Coach Bjorkman is still to win, and I, I think that that's where that challenge does come a, a or it does become more of a challenge is he's got to figure out how to develop guys without giving up regular season losses, and that is one of my big that's one of my big points and one things that I've taken away from uh, from that, but. Now with all these injuries, I don't think he's really had a choice. And with getting rid of Vic and then the Karras situation, you know, now his hands are really, you know, tied with who he's going to play. So uh, it, it's good to see Sumner getting that chance. And I, I think once Miles is healthy, and obviously I think he said he wants to bring Lamb off the bench in that six-man role, I think this is Sumner's job until until Karras is ready to play. Do you guys agree with that, Mark? Yeah. Yeah, no, I think that makes sense. And, yeah, Nate said that in his, uh, his post-game presser that he likes Jeremy coming off the bench. Mm -hmm. um, it was also Jeremy played really well yesterday. Obviously, uh, it's uh, I will not nitpick the defense. It was his first game back. Uh, but Jeremy was like – Jeremy looked like Jeremy on defense. So, it was you know, I was I was pretty pretty impressed with how he looked offensively. Um, but, yeah, no, I, I don't think that's going to change up too much. And Sumner's done a lot offensively. He gives you some more versatility there. Um so, yeah, I will be completely honest. I blanked 100% on your question, Alex, and I just started thinking about Edmund Sumner um, and Jeremy Lamb making a closeout. And, uh, yeah. It's all good. I, I was just asking if you think Sumner is the guy to start until Levert comes back. Uh, yeah, probably. Yeah. Aaron's been too inconsistent. Tony, you agree with that? Yeah, he, Aaron. The Aaron question specifically, I agree well, with. That. <laughs> well, and the, and the Sumner starting question too. Oh yeah. Well, it, to me, if Lamb starts, it's it's uh it's instead of one of the shooters. You put you put either Doug or Justin back with the bench because they've been. I mean, yeah, the team's been so banged up, like whatever. But yeah. that unit, that unit, since they did the trade, it's been really rough because it's basically Aaron, TJ, and 
starters or Jakar, like that's yeah. not gonna work. So. Starting starting three bench players is not ideal for successful yeah. basketball, I, you know. And then don't get me wrong, I'm totally okay with Lamb with the bench. I like that's gonna be the long term play anyway. Let that group develop. But mm-hmm. I would understand it if they did Sumner Lamb and one of the shooters as your two through four with the starters. Mm-hmm. Both are fine to me. Right, right, right. So let's move on to my next question. Question number two. Uh, I'll start with you, Tony, here first. What are the major differences you've seen from Miles this season, and can he sustain this level of play? Uh, I don't see why he can't. I think that it's kind of going back to something I said that I liked about Bjorkren is he's just doing – so two things. One is he's doing what I've always thought he should be doing, which is kind of dumb, but just like all of his touches – let me rephrase that. 95% of his touches are behind the – either behind the three-point line or catching with a mismatch or on the move. And two, on defense, he's not just constantly pick and roll coveraging and just glued to a big man. He's like kind of roaming and covering ground for other people. And, you know, he's very mobile, right? McMillan had him doing a lot of good stuff in drop coverage and defending pick and rolls, but he also had him kind of rigidly locked on the other team's big man. Now he's kind of roaming around more and moving. Um, But the other one is because I think he's playing the role he's supposed to, he's more confident. And confident Miles makes quick decisions, all right? The second he catches the ball, he's immediately deciding dribble, pass, shoot, whatever, like one of the basketball things you have to do. And when he's slumping, we can all see it. He hesitates or he stands there and then swings it, whatever. And when he's confident, he just, you know, he has the ability to blow by guys. And he has the ability to make his shots when he's not leaning back for some reason. Like, he's not doing any – I mean, look, he's been pretty rocky up and down throughout his career. So maybe he won't sustain it. But if playing the right role keeps his confidence at a level where he's always making the quick decisions and Bjorkren's got his back, even if he's messing up, I think he can maintain it. I definitely think he can maintain the defense either way because he's not – confidence doesn't really play a role in his defense. But offensively, you know, I think he can maintain it probably because he's got the, the green light from Bjorkren to be himself. But I understand that his career's kind of been roller coaster. I'm making hand motions that no one can see but you guys. But <laughs> yeah, Mark, I'll let you go next. Yeah, so that I actually do have a piece dropping on offense tomorrow uh, from Miles, um, which I'm excited about because I've been working on it for forever and I keep saying it's going to come out, but it's actually going to come out tomorrow. Um, so the I won't biggest talk cliffhanger. The biggest cliffhanger. Hey man, it's I've I've literally been collecting clips for like a month, so it's, it's finally it's finally here. Right, um, right. Yeah, it's a lot more watching than reading, to be completely honest, which is part of the problem. But um, no, defensively, I just look at Miles and exactly like Tony's saying. I mean, he's just more actualized in his role, and I think giving him the chance to um, actually be kind of a roamer in the paint has been huge for him. Um, offensively, he just he feels the game a lot better than than he did last year. Um, instead of like Tony mentioned, I, I don't mean to keep retreading on what he's saying, but I mean, he's, he's right. Um, it's all just decision-making is faster. He, he's processing the game a lot faster than he has been. Part of that's, um, I think, Bjorkren, but I also think a lot of that is Miles and just um, feeling a lot more confident with where he's at. Um, also, I want to mention, I keep having people telling me that Miles is not shooting well this year. Yes, his number is 28.3% right now, but if you cut out the first three games where he went one of 12, he's shooting 34.1% on the season, which is the same as last year. So he's having a fine shooting season so far. I actually think that number will go up. So stop asking me why Miles can't shoot. You cut out a quarter of uh, everybody's worst games. Yeah, they'd all. Okay, well, the first three games, like, yeah, you know, it's fair. It's fair. If you look at the recent trends, it, it, it maps. All right. It's uh, just, uh, yeah. It counts. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Red, what are your thoughts? So I think, I mean, obviously both of them are spot on, but I think also the confidence that Miles has partially plays into his moving off ball and cutting to the rim when Sabonis is posting up. I think that's one thing that 
it's a never ending cycle of confidence there because he has the confidence to move without the ball and be involved in the offense in that regard, but then also finishing plays in that. And then also his passing, I think yeah, yeah. he's had, he's had some really good passes. Him and Domas have had a weird two man game where Domas will cut and miles will hit him with a good bounce pass. And then miles will cut while Domas is seeing two defenders and it'll just be an open shot. Um, so I'm, I'm, Hopefully he can keep that up because miles moving without the ball and cutting to the rim is just, that's so different. If, uh, if, if defenses aren't ready for the six eleven shooting guard to, to cut to the rim. <laughs> right. Well, I think that kind of is a good segue into one of my next questions. And so I, I said, wow, it's only been a small sample size. Do, do you believe that the Turbonus duo gives Indiana the best chance to win now and in the future? So Mark, I'll start with you. Uh, I'm going to hedge on this, uh, just to be completely <laughs> honest. It's been 14 games, and I would say through 14 games. I'm not sure. Um, but to put it bluntly, they have the exact same net rating uh, playing together this year that they did last year. If you filter out the Aaron Holiday minutes because the starting lineups, uh, net rating just got completely tanked by the Aaron Holiday minutes when he was with the starters. Um I think obviously we've noticed like a lot better things happening with them on court together. I think they're a lot better um, actualized in their roles and they make more sense together. Um, but no, I mean, Caitlin and I talked about this on, a, on the pod a couple of days ago. Uh, is it, even if you make them work, is this technically better than having Gordon Hayward? And I think obviously you can point out looking at um, you can, you can point out how bad the defense has been, but I think part of that's, I mean, everything's tailored to the players on the roster now. So I I can't say for sure. I don't know. I'm hopeful that it'll work out, but we're really not going to know for sure until the playoffs. Um, I think. Uh, but right, right. Yeah. So I'm going to cop out and say uh, TBD. All right, Rhett, give us uh, give us a little bit of a bolder answer with your team. Uh, <laughs> so I am going to hedge a little bit as well, just because uh, that's that's on. kind of where we're at. No, I okay. So wasn't planning on hedging, so I'm glad I'm last now. All right. So here we go. <laughs> I tweeted about this after listening to you and Caitlin talk about it, Mark. Turbonus is the most efficient use of the players they have on their roster because you're not going to sit $18 million, $20 million on the bench. You're not going to play Domas and Miles separately and not have – like you just – you can't afford to do that. They're, they're two of your five best players. You, you've got to play them together. And Bjorkren's done a pretty good job of making that work. But it also comes down to what – is the return on a trade package involving either of those guys. That's how you know whether or not it's going to be successful. Because if you're trading, let's say you trade Miles for Miles Bridges, Cody Zeller, and uh, uh, Jalen McDaniels for, to Charlotte. On purpose? Exactly. <laughs> no, hey, Miles like, Bridges has been good this year, man. He's, he's good, but I'm just saying. What? making improvements. What? He has so, been good this year. I'm just saying that is a wing that could be available from a team that's also looking for a starting center. If you, and that's what I said, if you're looking, yeah, I'm good for, with my reaction. Yeah. <laughs> if you're, if you're looking, double checking that I got the right guy. <laughs> yeah. Basically, no, I don't think it'll be successful long term just because it's too bigs. Like you're, you're looking at, they just do two completely different things. They need each other to do well, but I just think, I, I don't know, playing two bigs. I just don't. I just don't like it when you play a team like the Clippers and you've got yeah, I, Paul I George, want to Marcus Morris, Kawhi Leonard. You just can't play miles against either yeah. of those two or Domas yeah. on the perimeter. I'm on hedging. Okay, so I think exactly like look at the Clippers. Like in that matchup again, talked about this on on, on Tuesday. Like who even when you have this roster fully healthy, 
obviously, all right, so TJ Warren, Karis Levert, your starting line was Brogdon, Levert, um, Warren, Miles, and Domas. If you play a team like the Clippers, like how Boston is going to be for the next couple of years with how they're set up, there's always going to be one extra wing on the court. Um, it's just so hard to defend that. And offensively, is the duo good enough to exploit that? Um, I I don't – personally, I don't think so from what we've seen so far. There, I unhedged. I, Boulder, there we go, Alex. Um, <laughs> I think Tony influenced you because he said he was not going to. Tony did influence me. <laughs> I wanted to be well, after after being berated for boneless wings the last couple of days. I had to I had to get on Tony's good side for a second. So, <laughs> well, see, Red's point is is the point that I think gets overlooked a lot in this discussion is that I'm going to take it a, a little further. Actually, Red, two of their best three players this year. Um, yes, yes. I mean, overall, I think right, right. Yeah, they have to the play a too. lot yeah. because they're yeah. two of the most talented. And they don't not fit, right? Like, they still beat a 25 out of 30 teams comfortably with their starters, right? Like, mm-hmm. they fit fine. But the answer is to the question is no, right? It's not the best version of the Pacers has a, a four that can defend or – you know, can really shoot it or something instead, right? Like, look at every team for the all of eternity. Uh, well, that's not true. Every team in the modern era, I guess, that's right. been really good. Um, you know what I mean? Like, the answer is no. They'd, they'd be better with just one of them, right? Last year, all the evidence was with just Sabonis, they kick ass. They just do. And there's also evidence that with just Turner, they kick ass, but lesser extent. But that doesn't matter. That What that says to me is, with just one center, they're really good, and they're they, they're both really good players. Again, with the rush they have, they have to play, but they're you know they're not just going to trade them to trade them eventually. And this is what I've maintained on on locked on Pacers for forever is let's see it in the playoffs if they just get absolutely sh- smacked and pummeled into the ground. Like yeah, okay, this is over. Like fix this. Mm-hmm. But if it goes better than expected or it works fine, you know maybe you can keep rolling with it. Whatever. Who knows what the Pacers' goals are every year, but. Uh, no, the, the best version of the Pacers probably does not involve both centers. I will say, I think it's kind of, I, I don't know if it's a good thing we didn't trade for Gordon Hayward with the package that was out there. Yeah, the package I, would have been bad. <laughs> yeah, but I will say that Turner has increased his trade value by a lot, I think, both yep. by looking as good as he has as the lone center, doing what he's doing offensively confidently, and then obviously being the defensive player of the year so far this year. So Not anymore. Well, no, not. <laughs> I'm walking but, out of my own article headline. Yeah, but <laughs> basically, I don't know if Hayward would be better than what Miles is doing right now, but it depends on what if uh, we decide to trade one. I think so. Gordon Hayward's been like a top 25, yeah. 30 player this year. Yeah, He's so. been really damn good in Charlotte. And I'm <laughs> yeah, not trying to this. And is... Doug and Miles, nah, no, you know, yeah, like, no, give another play no. now, nah, but yeah, Hayward's better. Like Hayward's a lot better. Yeah, and he, he really fills a, a void the Pacers half with what their roster yes. currently has. So that's that's the big thing with me with Gordon Hayward, where it's like Miles is having a great year, and so is Doug. And to sit there and be like, yeah, I'd still probably rather have Gordon Hayward, it's it's a bit of a take that people probably don't expect others to have because I know a lot of fans have been like, oh, thank God we didn't make that trade. Look at this great season these guys are having. But at the same time, I mean, nobody's really paying attention to what Hayward's doing in Charlotte if you're a Pacers fan. So uh, that that's a – that's another topic for another day. But speaking of, you know, roster moves and moves that didn't happen, I mean, we did see the Levert trade go down, and that was the big move of the year probably for the Pacers. But do we anticipate any more roster moves this season? I'll start first with you, Red. I don't think so. I think we've talked about it a little bit before. Mm-hmm. Is it's, it's pretty unrealistic, even though they did create like a $4 million trade exception, and then they got cash back. So they have some – 
money to do stuff, but they have a full roster, so it would take some other moves. I, I don't think so, no. Tony? Uh, pre-trade, they probably would have waived Keelan Martin and then signed someone else. But, I mean, there's not, there's not really a point right now, I guess, uh, to making anything. So, I mean, maybe they, like, dump Jalen queue with cash or cut Keelan and sign some other minimum dude. But I, I kind of doubt it, unless there's another big injury and then they need help. But I kind of doubt it. Yeah. Mark? Yeah, I would agree. I mean, I wish that something would happen so they could get Rondé Hollis Jefferson because he's still there and he's, he wouldn't. Okay. I know. I know. I see you shaking your head, Tony. I know. <laughs> I already like thought through it in my head. I'm like, no. Miles he's, Bridges and Rondé Hollis Jefferson, but we got to shoot higher guys. We, what is like, Rondé? You can get Rondé Hollis Jefferson at a minimum right now. Like he's actually good. He was a rotation player on a playoff team last year. Um, he's better than, what do you mean? Why are you shaking your head? He was, he was in the top eight for, I'm for Toronto. I'm scrolling. It was eight, true. All eight of those minutes per game. I forgot about that. Hey, he played more than eight. Okay. You know what? <laughs> I, I'm digging myself a hole here. He's he's a better player than Jakar Sampson. He he's better on the perimeter. He can handle the ball a little bit. Like he's not perfect. I know, but that's exactly why you wouldn't get him because he what how much more does he actually provide than Jakar that he actually like is worth making all the moves to to make him part of the team. But no. So long story short, no, I don't think they're gonna make any more moves. Yeah, and that's kind of how I feel too. It's it's that the Oladipo trade is not one you usually see the Pacers do and get involved in a in a third or fourth team trade like that. But it's it was a great trade I think by the Pacers, and unfortunately the Levert news really put a damper on things. And this wasn't one of my questions, and I know we've all kind of talked about it, but um, I, I guess I can kind of make it one of my questions here. So uh, once fully healthy with Levert in the lineup and TJ Warren in the lineup, and then of course Sabonis, Turner, and Brogdon. Um, do we envision this being the Pacers starting five for the next few years? And I'll start first with you, Tony. Um, yeah, most likely. Unless they, well, we've kind of talked about like every m- maneuver out, but you know, they're not going to trade Levert. They just got him. They're not going to trade Brogdon. He's really good and the best member of the community the Pacers could possibly have. They're yeah. not trading Sabonis because he's a an all star, maybe two time all star soon, and really good. So Warren's on an expiring deal next year. So maybe you sniff that he's not in like the long-term starting five or, or maybe something changes there. And we just talked about why maybe not having Turner would make some sense. I could hear a point. clutch points graphic being made right now. <laughs> I'm not advocating for anything. I'm just, <laughs> no, I'm I'm just, just saying that there are, there are reasons to me that they would not be their starting five of the future. But I also think that extending TJ Warren kind of makes a lot of sense and Turner's really good, and if, if they can keep, you know, if they win a playoff round this year, I think that it's basically a lock that that starting five will be the starting five all of next year. Yeah. So, and if they there's don't, a good shot, but not a confirmed shot. What, Rhett? If they don't win a playoff series, it's pretty much a lock that it will not stay the same, <laughs> right? I like, don't know. I don't know about that. Like, if they lose in seven to like the Nets or something, I uh, yeah, matchup depends. But see, yeah. like, I'm not trying to sound terrible, but that that's something I've thought about because you really look at it, and part of it is it sucks because injuries and the unfortunate like i mean i really just hope that everything's that is okay with karis moving forward um we still really don't know entirely um you know he doesn't know um but the problem is you look at okay if him or tj um or somebody is not back in time for the playoffs that is another instance that comes about well you know maybe if we make tweaks for next year we should just run with the same group um i'm sounding awfully pessimistic right here but i mean we've seen that happen for the last three years so 
Um, I don't how, know. Let me ask you this, Mark. How much do injuries play a, a part in the fact that the – because we kind of saw last year with Vic, we never saw the starting five play a lot together. We started this season off, and then Warren was hurt, obviously, to start the year, then he has the surgery. So we haven't really got to see the starting five that the front office has envisioned play multiple what, games together. What, what team in the NBA – ever sees the ideal starting five play together for the entire year. That almost never happens. I'm like, just saying a larger the, sample I'm, size uh, than the, like a uh, <laughs> The 2017-18 Indiana Pacers were one such team that, that you just described. Okay, I didn't That's, mean to. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm just, I'm just curious because like if the Vert doesn't hardly play at all this year, then Warren obviously doesn't get back to around playoffs. Like they didn't have any time in the regular season to develop some chemistry. So I, I think that there could be some – you know, things in the back of the, the front office's mind, like, hey, we want to give these guys a chance to prove themselves, right? And I think there's something you could look into that. And, right. you know, with Warren being on that, you know, expiring contract in the next coming years, like, it was really interesting because I had Michael Grady on, and I I actually messaged Tony about this when we were talking, and I said, one thing he mentioned is, you know, Levert coming into that starting position, it could impact T.J. Warren, and he said, you know, that he would consider staggering their minutes and bringing T.J. Uh, with the second unit more and letting Levert kind of cook with the first unit and Sabonis and that group. So I was just I was just kind of curious your thoughts on that as well because how how does Levert being added to this team impact TJ Warren? I think that's a really important question because they're both guys that aren't like terrific shooters but they're good at, you know, getting to their spot and hitting their shots and they're different players but at the same time I mean what? How do you think their games mesh together? And I'll start with whoever wants to take it. Mark, you look like you're I. Like I just want to say one more thing on on what I said. I was not okay. trying to say that um that this team like that that it's not a, a fair thing to say. I mean, um, but I just think uh, at some point you can't just be like, okay, well, we didn't get to see them all play together. Like, I I, I don't know. It's hard to you can't account for injuries. It's it's very difficult to account for yeah. injuries, yeah. and so I don't know. That was just something I think. Um. But I don't know. I think, you know, I had Andrew Kelly, who's really smart dude, one of my friends who uh, covers the Hawks over at Peach Groups, actually lives in Indianapolis. Um, no, we talked about how this team has the makings to be very similar to the 14-15 Hawks in terms of how they build their their team out, having continuity, um, not necessarily having a quote-unquote star player. Um, I think there's more of a path for this team to have that than that Hawks team per se. But you just look at they have they have depth, they have shooting across the board, they have guys who can defend in multiple positions. Um, they could be a really successful team, you know, as, as you look at, at the next couple of years moving forward with Karis Levert. I mean, I think I have a little bit of questions defensively. Um, I mean, I I think Karis Levert's a fine defender. I don't think he's a, a plus or a minus, frankly. Like um, he does things that are positive, he does things that are negative as a defender. Uh, it brings you a lot offensively. Again, like you mentioned with the shooting, he's been a better off-dribble shooter from three than catch-and-shoot three uh, guy for the last two or three years. Um, so I think that's an interesting thing to look at and how that fits in. Um, but ultimately, I mean, you have a lot of talent locked up for a couple of years uh, in the starting five, and that's positive. Yeah, Brett? I don't know what the – starting lineup and the bench lineups are going to look like once everybody's back healthy. That hasn't really been a concern for the Pacers because we've never been fully healthy. So that's never, <laughs> we haven't had to answer that question. Uh, but I think it just depends on how each of them play within the starting lineup. Like if, if Warren is somehow getting the fifth most shots of the starters, then yeah, he should absolutely have a role with the bench. I don't imagine that'll be the case, but I, I just think you have to, 
base how they're involved with the starters uh, and then see how they run with the bench because Lavert's more of a creator for others and a distributor than Warren is. And uh, depending on who, who else you have out there, that could be more important than uh, Warren's possession finishing ability. Tony? Maybe, uh, maybe I'm, my, I'm underthinking this, but I don't get how having Lavert instead of Oladipo would, would make Warren's role like, role like way smaller. Like Oladipo had the ball a lot this year. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, 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 I don't yeah. Like, I guess Warren and Oladipo didn't play together that much, but, like, they played in a bubble, and Warren was amazing. Like, the bubble obviously is different than the real NBA, but... Um, <laughs> and no Sabonis. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. So, like, I don't I don't know. I mean, I, I obviously one of them should be with the bench at some points. Like, Depot played with the bench more often this year than he did in seasons past, so maybe that suggests it'll be Levert. I get the argument for both, I guess, but I don't think Warren's role with the starters will be that much smaller than it was with Depot on the team, so... I, I, yeah. I kind of don't know how many changes there will be, but yes, one of them should play some minutes with the bench. Just I, I kind of want to. I think with Lavert's passing ability, it makes more sense for him to be with the bench, uh, just because I feel like he could be that creator and he's a, a better passer than TJ Warren. And it depends on what they do with TJ McConnell, because if they don't bring him back and, and you're playing Aaron and Lamb and whoever, I mean that's that's going to be tough <laughs> because there's. I mean, pretty good wing depth. I mean, as far as who, their key guys with Justin and Doug, if he's a free agent, obviously, if they bring him back, Edmund, like, yeah, that's just, what I was about to say. If McDermott's gone, it's Warren with the bench because he can actually shoot. Yeah, that, that, mm-hmm. that's the thing. So it's it's all just, I guess it all depends on who comes back uh, with the team next year with free agent wise, with Sumner and McDermott being the free agents. But that is uh, interesting. He's not a free agent, is he? I, I think he is. Does he have a team option next year? Who's a free agent? Sumner. I I, I want to no, say when I talked to Scott, next year. who is it then? I thought I thought Scott Agnes said he was, but maybe McConnell I. and McDermott are the free agents. And Sampson, next. right? Jakar Sampson is he a free yeah. agent? Yeah, Jakar's going to be a free agent every summer for the rest of his career. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Okay, so Jakar slander on the pod. <laughs> oh, wow, Tony. Thousands of play- not thousands. <laughs> players do the minimum dance every year. Come on. Okay, so well, let's move on then, and let's let's move in a different direction. So, uh, we're still talking about this roster, so I want to kind of close it out a little bit, talking about the the roster. So, I'll start with I'll start with Tony this time. What is one thing the Pacers roster lacks? Oh, a, a big ass wing. <laughs> uh, uh, to to tie it in with some Twitter discussions, a wing with lots of bones, but really, um, they. <laughs> Well, can you give us a player type, like just an example of someone that you're not thinking? Somebody who can guard Kawhi Leonard or Paul George <laughs> without getting completely blown by. Uh, let me think. Who, who is, has length? To okay, I have two play. options that? for different reasons. One is Robert Covington. Not because Robert Covington can do the things Mark just said, but as we saw last night against the Dallas Mavericks, this team is very inconsistent with team defensive concepts and principles. And Robert Covington is not inconsistent with team defensive concepts and principles. That man can just, he's always in the right spots and is such a good defender. Uh, the actual, I think fit for the, the rule I'm talking about is Marcus smart. I think uh, is he's kind of short, but he can kind of guard anybody and, the, the way he plays and the lack of ball he has makes me consider him a four in my head, even though he's guard size. So Mark, a Marcus Smart-ish guy. Okay, Mark. Uh, Jay Crowder, there's another one. I don't love I, I, Jay Crowder's fine. He's just so inconsistent offensively. It's tough. Um, yeah, I don't care. Yeah. I mean, because Jake <laughs> – J- okay. All right. I'm, Jay Crowder's a slightly shorter fad. 
Thad. Thad is another one. Yes. That would Thad from like two that years ago. Was like, oh my god. Even Thad, Thad now would be fantastic. He's still been Larry he's Nance. Up like randomly. Oh my god. Yes, Larry Nance. Well. That, I almost wrote an article last summer about how the Pacers should like try and trade for Larry Nance, which obviously would never happen. But Larry Nance is good, and he's like he's not an awesome shooter, but he will shoot, which counts. Um, but defensively, I mean, the Cavs have, I believe they're still the best defense in the league. Probably not after last night because uh, they just gave up 135 points. Um, but Larry Nance is good, really good. So basically, but no, I mean, my point is like Bridges somebody from the Suns is who we want, right? <laughs> not yeah. even like like Jeremy <laughs> yes, Grant is. Yes, who I that like. is who we want. But like, yes, yeah. it is. <laughs> you're not going to get Jeremy Grant <laughs> now. Um, no, nope. <laughs> that's literally impossible now. Because uh, Jeremy Grant is probably an all-star in the East currently, uh, even though the, the Pistons the – I don't Pistons think are, he'll get it. He, Bradley Beal didn't get it last year. So. Yeah, but he's a, he's a forward. It, it, there's, like, less awesome forwards in the East. Not with KD healthy. Or now that there's less – I think that if you're averaging 26 points per game on above league average true shooting percentage and you're a wing, it's very difficult to not be. And I he think, actually plays defense too, so – yeah. Well, their team sucks, so that's why I just don't think they'll Yeah, it's certainly leading to a lot of uh, success. In the <laughs> oh, okay. Hey, the Pistons, all their games have been really close. They're actually I have to always good. think about stuff like that. Like, like wins and losses shouldn't obviously matter for all-star candidacies, but, like, it does. Dude, if, Andre it Drummond, does. if Andre Drummond's team beats Carl Anthony Towns' team every time they play, like, yeah, in my head, Cat's better, but, like, Shouldn't shouldn't that matter? Like, shouldn't Drummond just kicking his ass every time kind of matter? I don't know. Don't make me pull up Andre versus Miles is uh shouldn't that kind of matter? On stat, I, I, stat. So if, if Jeremy Grant's doing all this stuff and he uh, can't beat anybody, I, I feel like that's got to. Hey, come. all I'm saying is anyway. nobody on this team is gonna be able to guard Jeremy Grant when they play the Pistons. So yeah, Rhett has just Rhett has it named the true ideal person is is Mikael Bridges. They cannot get Mikael Bridges, but he is yeah, the guy. exactly. He is exactly what they need. Yes, yeah. it, yes yeah. that's that's who it shooting forty five percent from three this year just absolutely insane it's well, so, like baby Mikhail's like jay crowder and <laughs> such you just I, I think the defense is important but the three-point shooting is just as important as well uh with that's that why position. derrick jones was one of my favorite free agents this summer for this season he's not way. shooting well this year uh, derrick jones I'm, not a good offensive player but he is a very good oh yeah did you actually i heard the saddest thing that i've heard this year um a friend of mine coined it as uh, he's very close to no it wasn't it was uh, it was Steve Jones um, I don't know if he does a pod the dunker spot with the Kaius Duncan new pod really good you guys should listen to it um, he said that he's like one or two games away from calling Robert Covington and Derek Jones Jr. Mo Harkless and Alfred Meter two point because of how bad they've been <laughs> offensively so uh, not great so far in Portland. No, they uh I you know it's funny because everybody was really high on Portland coming I was, into the season. I, said, I know you were three seed. Oops. Hey, injuries. Injuries what, happen. But what <laughs> Which was I know that totally negates no, my no, entire no. argument from earlier. It's just but. that Nurkic is, was bad, basically. Yeah, Nurkic was really bad. Yeah, and if yeah. he can't stay healthy, they could be another team in the hunt for a center as well. I mean, just Hassan Whiteside, the no. return. No. <laughs> Rather play no here. Yeah, but yeah, sign breaker at that dead. point. Just do something dumb. Yeah. yeah. Where's Yan Mahinmi? What's Yan Mahinmi doing? <laughs> He's still on the Wizards, I think. <laughs> did he, did he I thought his deal was up. I don't yeah. know. Yan Mahinmi just wakes up and counts his money every day and then goes to bed. <laughs> that's that's his life. I, I think Mahinmi is still unsigned, if I'm not mistaken. Probably. I'm pretty sure he was a free agent. Yeah. If well, I just flipped the Blazers and Suns, my preseason West predictions would have been oh so good. Oh man. So good. Hey Utah, thinking? I had I had Utah at three. I'm sitting pretty right now. So well I blew it. 
I had Houston miss in the playoffs and I had a bunch of people coming after me, but I don't, it's like, I knew they were going to trade Harden. So it just goes to, you know, like this Harden thing was not going to be fixed. So, and obviously, but uh, we see that now, but speaking of Yamahimi, there's another center on the Pacers right now that fans are just very pessimistic about. And that's the one and only Goga Batadze. And if we kind of talked about this before the pot, so I think you guys will enjoy these answers. So Mark, I'll start with you. Why do you think fans have become frustrated with Goga? And is it fair? Uh, no, it's not fair in my opinion. Um, and I think, you know, it's, I, it's difficult because I'm not a fan. So I just try and, uh, I try and be objective with it. And so I, I try and understand where people are coming from. I think people are upset with Goga because in the minutes he has played, he has not looked good, but I counter that and say, okay, well, he's not getting consistent enough minutes to, to, to get good. You know, it's, it's one thing to play in practice every day, but to actually get game reps is something entirely different. And, uh, you know, I had somebody say that he should be playing in the G League, and no, uh, he was dominant in the G League last year. I think he put up 19 and 13, was taking, like, off-movement threes, was just doing, like, four blocks a game. Exactly. He was doing insane stuff. It's too good to play in the G League. He's at the point where he has to get NBA minutes to develop. Um, so I get why people are frustrated. I would tell them that they're wrong, and I will continue to tell them that they're wrong. Um but, yeah, I mean, I think until you actually play Goga and give him a real chance to develop, you don't know. Otherwise, you have a TJ Leaf situation again, which is different because TJ Leaf declined to go down to the G League. Um, and, frankly, yeah. we know – yeah, uh, J. Michael reported that. News to me. Um, yeah. Um, I, uh, so, with, with Goga, though, my point is, obviously, we know TJ Leaf is not an NBA person. Like, he's not an NBA player. Oklahoma City found that out in about two games. Um, but – Unless you give somebody the actual run an opportunity to find that out, then, you know, what are we doing here? Rhett? Uh, there's no – absolutely no reason to be upset or frustrated or whatever negative emotion you want to feel towards Goga um, when we don't even know what he can do because he hasn't been given an opportunity. Take that frustration a little bit, like crank it down to one from the 11 that you're feeling and <laughs> point it towards the, either the front office or Bjorkren for no. him, a uh, Goga, Goga, uh, giving him a, a, a non, bleh, goodness gracious, a DNP coach's decision. That's those are the words. Um, but I mean, he's, he just hasn't played. Like, there's just no reason to be frustrated with him at all. Yeah, Tony, I, I know you, you don't want to spoil shots, too much. Nine seconds, right? Uh, yeah, I'm probably gonna save this. Uh, I will. Yeah, it's it. The frustration is that he has struggled at times, right? And fans want to win every game that the Pacers play. So I get that. Um, but if you look micro level, which is very boring, if you're a fan who wants to win every game, uh, he's setting better screens this year. He jumped two passing lanes in his debut game. He had a nice finish, two nice finishes at the basket. Should have had three. I don't know how he missed that first baby. <laughs> yeah. Also had the worst three point foul of the season for the entire team and got blown by the room a few times. Like right, very up and down, mostly down, and they got outscored with him on the court. Right. So he played kind of bad, and everyone's like, "Oh my gosh, what?" Goga's not any good. It's his second year. It's his first game. Like, why are we, why are we putting so much stock in this exactly. one game? Like, yeah, he, exactly. August eighth of twenty twenty. That is five months ago from his debut this season. It was that game he played against the Lakers in the bubble when he's three for four with seven points and he's blocking LeBron and he gets an assist and you know that whole week he looked capable. He only shot under fifty percent once in like a in like a two week stretch actually playing with Sabonis out. 
and playing a normal amount of minutes all but one game. I mean, I know they played Jakar in the playoffs, but he looked okay then and like a rookie center developing, and then he has one game, and everyone's like, oh, my God. And he's awful. That, he's awful. one bad stint because his fourth quarter stint was, was all, all the good stuff I said. Most of that was in the fourth quarter. Mm-hmm. One bad stint, and it's like, oh, my gosh, what the sky is falling. So I'm going to say <laughs> – I'm going to plug my own pot on Alex's. But I'm not going to do that. Never mind. No, I do have, it. I don't care. I, th- I have another take that I will discuss uh, elsewhere if you would like to listen to that. Locked on Pacers. Factoid that fine. I will throw into the discussion in a future moment. But I, okay. I, don't I, have do have another, I, I do have another thing I want to add then on top of that. And this is more expanding on that and kind of what we talked about earlier. Um, you talk about, you know, this team, obviously with Miles and Domas, like you mentioned with your bonus, um, moving forward. I think we have KP's answer in the front office's answer without getting actual words on it. You know, they tried to move Miles for Gordon Hayward. That is, that's very clear. That happened. Obviously, Miles has been awesome. He's having the best season of his career. So it's worked out great. But I think you also look, they, they take Goga with a high end first round pick, and now Goga's not playing. Um, so I, I think, you know, they, if they were very confident, in Miles and Domas working together, I don't think that they pick Ogubitaze. Um, you know, and, and that's more speculation on my part, but I think you can find validity in that, um, considering that the team did not need to choose a center then. Uh, you know, maybe that's an unfair take for me to have, but I just think, you know, you look at this all around, I think ultimately they don't have in, entire faith in them. And, you know, what front office is ever going to have, like, 100% faith in somebody who's not LeBron James, but... Um, I don't know. I think that that answers a lot of questions for me, just seeing the moves that have been made and, and the way that they've handled things. Well, and I want to I want to piggyback off that, because if, if you go back to what Kevin Pritchard said after they drafted Gogo, they said, we think he's ready to play right now. And, and so I think there was a, a feeling that he'd been playing in the EuroLeague and playing with older guys and really had kind of, you know, they thought he'd be more advanced than maybe that he actually was. And I think a lot of the, the setbacks that he had with his visa and not being able to play in summer league, we're all part of it, but I think one of the main reasons fans are upset, and I said this on the pod I did with Fachi a couple of days ago, was just as as we live in this society today, you know, everybody just wants instant reactions they, or instant results. They, they don't want to wait for anything. You know, if you want to go do something, you can pretty much do it whenever you want now. Uh, you want to watch a movie, you just download it on your phone. You know, everybody just wants things right away, and there's this thing where we don't have patience, and we get frustrated with players if they don't give us instant results. So for me, like that's, I think that's a lot of it to do with Goga. Like he's been in, he's been injured, so that's frustrating for fans because they haven't got a chance to see him. And then when he does play, he's really inconsistent because one, he hasn't had a role that's been consistent for him, and he's also just not been able to get you know the experience on the court. So. That's a lot of reasons why, but I don't think it's fair. So last question, I'll start back with you, Rhett, on this one. Um, while there can be a case made for whether Domas or Miles or, or Malcolm have been the uh, the best player so far on this team, what is a realistic ceiling for the Pacers if they're the top guys? Uh, depends on if guys three through six are healthy. Like, that's the, that's the entire yeah. thing. Because a Malcolm-Domas team – they're pretty good. They could. They're both maybe all stars this year so far. I mean, they've they've been He's really really tough, good. Man, I don't yeah. know. There's it's, a lot of good players uh, in these. Regardless, yeah. the fact that they're both in the conversation and yeah. Yeah. even further in the conversation than they were last year, um, because Malcolm's playing way better and Domas is doing Domas things. But 
if everybody's healthy, I would like to retract my seventh seed statement and say that they can probably get up into the four or five range. Uh, but without knowing who else is going to be healthy, I think they probably stay in the six, seven range. I don't know. I don't know about you guys. Alex, instead of having me answer the question, uh, just use your editing powers and just put Rhett's answer again. <laughs> and then Mark can go. Okay, Mark. <laughs> uh, I I don't have a different answer, to be completely honest. Like, This is um, the content you guys are here for. <laughs> <laughs> well, you already brought, Sorry. okay, to add a little bit, you already brought up the old Atlanta teams, right? That like, like yeah. Horford and Millsap were really, they were really good, but they're like yeah. the same kind of level of all-star we're looking at with Brogdon's yeah. bonus, right? Like, solid all-star, not the guy who pushes you to a title, but good. That team made a, a conference finals and a bunch of second rounds, like, you know, that, that kind yeah, of stuff. Exactly. And there's nothing wrong with that. I would like to point that out there. I get Mark's really favorite frustrated. discussion is the Tyler Bus discussion. I hate it. I hate <laughs> it. I hate it. I hate it. There are 30 teams. You cannot be a title team every year. And you can tell me it's a losing mentality, whatever. I've won a lot in my life. Um, that sounded so rude. I am so sorry. I did not mean for it to come off that way. I just mean in terms of like, it's, there's so much more to watching basketball than winning a title. Like, I, I don't know. I got more joy out of watching the 2017-18 Pacers than just about anything I've watched in my lifetime. And I, I don't know. I just think you look at a team getting the most out of what they have and the sum of their parts. Like, the regular season matters. And, and, and watching the way that those guys grow and play together throughout the season matters. Um, so, yes, Tony is right. This is my favorite discussion. Uh, I, I will get off my soapbox. But, yeah, I think this team has the potential to be – Really good, and if things fall the right way, maybe very good if, if they can can string together some playing time and consistency without injuries. I mean, Kevin Pritchard talked about that in his presser um, on, was it, I believe Saturday? It was Saturday? I can't yeah, Saturday remember the days. Um, but he talked about, you know, how that's his vision. They, they view this as a team long-term. They hope that they can string together uh, healthy, consistent play headed into the playoffs because that's when they're going to be dangerous, and I agree with that. Yeah, and he was on Dockage, and, and when he was on there, he did talk about how they might not have the elite-level player like the Durants, like the LeBrons, but they want to win based on, you know, overall, like just, you know, solid, solid players from one through six or whatever. And it, it does kind of reminisce or kind of reflect the the team that went to the Eastern Conference Finals. Now, I understand Paul George was coming into his own during those time, but even that first year when they lost to the Heat in the, in the second round, Paul George was still not the guy. It was Danny Granger was still there, David West. And I think, you know, with, with solid players like Brogdon, Sabonis, and Turner, and then, of course, Levert and Warren, like, these are all really good guys. It's just who's going to be the person that takes that next step and becomes that elite-level player on, on both ends of the floor like we saw in Paul George. And I think, you know, the hope is you maybe get that from Brogdon. I think that he's probably, you know, your best offensive player right now. Uh, with his ability to shoot the three, and then he's, you're guarding the best player on defense on the wing perimeter most of the time. So, I mean, you're asking a lot from Brogdon. And unfortunately, I just, you know, I wonder sometimes if he's your best player, if your team's going to be able to, you know, get far in the playoffs. But at the same time, I think it's all about matchups. And right now, looking at the way the Eastern Conference is shaping up, um, the top four teams are going to be really tough to beat. And I just don't know how the Pacers roster, even if they get healthy by the playoffs, can win a series against one of those top four teams. Yeah, especially uh, 
I'm not all in on like the idea that Brooklyn is going to just win it at all costs, but they're good. Um, so I don't know if, stop. <laughs> yeah, I mean the 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 most wild uh, and so far most unstoppable possession I've seen so far this year is um, they've been running a James Harden Joe Harris pick and roll, and it mm-hmm. is insane. Like just so hard to defend. Um, that that's a team that the Pacers are really going to struggle to defend. But I think there's obviously an opportunity for Domas because DeAndre Jordan is washed um, and they don't have a real backup center. But then they have Kevin Durant and Le- and I almost said LeBron James. I did not mean to say LeBron James. And James Harden and Kyrie Irving. Like, that's that's very hard to defend. But, I mean, Milwaukee, I'm very interested to see how this team looks against Milwaukee because that's a team that the Pacers have really struggled with the last couple of years. Um, obviously, Giannis is just – um, an alien as far as I'm concerned with everything he can do on the basketball court. Um, I don't know. It, it's going to be tough. Philadelphia, I mean, Joel Embiid is playing like at an MVP level this year. Um, he probably won't win it because he's not going to play enough games ultimately. Uh, but he's been my pretty much tied for my, tied with Miles for Defensive Player of the Year, in my opinion, uh, throughout the year. And that's a, that's a tough guy, tough guy to beat. And the defend too. Um, I mean, Miles is. I saw you shake your head. Miles is probably like a little bit ahead of him, and and Joel hasn't played enough games. But yeah, it. You're you're right. It's, I could just go down the list and talk about every single team. But yeah, yeah. Any any final thoughts from you, Red, on that comment? No, they they pretty much touched on everything. But I do have a question for you guys. Uh, is right. Miles the most irreplaceable player on the team? No. Right now. No. If, if they keep playing uh, aggressive pick and roll trapping defense, yes, uh, but no. Okay, Brogdon well, is mine. Yeah, it's definitely Malcolm Brogdon. I mean, we see it with Malcolm off the court. I mean, uh, the TJ. Well, McConnell, this is also without Karis Levert, who might take over some of that playmaking. Not saying he can do it to Brogdon's level, but yeah. But I mean, the fact that Malcolm Brogdon is hitting off the dribble threes at yes. the clip that he is this year makes him almost. I wonder. I am wondering place. if. And this is everyone. This is not this panel of four. If everyone who watches and covers the Pacers is the pendulum is too far towards Karras, the playmaker. Like he can he can pass the ball to teammates. Yeah, um, he has six. You don't average six assists per game for nothing. But and yeah, he, he had pretty big usage jump this year. And like Durant missed a lot of COVID time, and Kyrie did whatever he was doing, and. He it just, was definitely usage driven. Yeah, he he got the chance, and yeah, and he got better teammates too. Like he just got more passing chances, I guess. Like I think he's like Dinwiddie being out too. I, I I always call this guy on on Locked On Pacers the Darren Collison passer, right? Darren Collison was the master of the easiest passes you could imagine, right on time, right on the money. But it was always like the guy who's like ten feet away from him on the wing, yeah. or like the pick and pop big who's three feet behind him. So he'd get like six or seven assists every game, and he deserved to create them, right? He he knew where the guy would be, and he got. But it's not like a good skip pass or like setting someone up on a roll or like flinging it. You know, I think I think maybe Karras isn't quite the playmaker that that he is, is has kind of been described as because like six assists is, is six assists. That's impressive, but it's you know I think Brogdon still is going to brunt a lot of that load. Yeah, and no, I would agree. Creates a lot too. Yeah, like I think you look at Karras, like he. Uh, the only time where I've felt where he's, like, actually – not that he's ever been, like, a bad playmaker, but, like, an above-average to, like, pretty good playmaker was in the first-round series against Toronto. But that was only a four-game sample size. But he was doing just so much stuff with the ball. But I agree, he's still not. Like, Malcolm's the best playmaker on the team still. Malcolm's the um, best player on the team. Yes, I would agree with that too. <laughs> um, but, hence my answer to the question being Brock. Right. Yeah. 
Um, I don't even remember what else I was going to say. Tony, you just totally ruined my entire train of thought. <laughs> Sorry. Um, I want, no, okay, okay. Rat, to, to, to follow up to your question, I want... Wait, what was Rat's question? I never want anyone Whether, to miss a game. Who is Miles' is, like, is Miles the most irreplaceable player on the team? You never want someone to oh. miss a game, but like, you know, they've gotten their asses handed to them twice without turn. Like, now let's play without Sabonis. So let's see what happens. Like, now let's play without Brog and let's see what happens. Like, I want to know. I want yeah, then I Just like force them to really sit out. Well. Let's yeah. play the Clippers without Sabonis. No, no. Let's see what happens. I do not want to see that. I do not I want to see that. I had a good time that game. I had a lot had of fun. a good time. That, the, the first two quarters were fun. Um, and Doug was on fire. <laughs> Doug a was a flamethrower. Road Doug was in full effect. Last night, home Doug was in full effect. I got to watch one of my favorite players ever have a very nice game. And I got to watch five minutes of pure bench garbage crap. And I love those minutes. So Yeah, I had a good time. the bench, uh, bench minutes were fun. Um, but also, too, I would say, did Darren Collison ever take a contested three when he was in Indiana because I can't remember it. I don't think he did. I remember he shot like 46% from three his first year. 18. And, uh, but it's also because he only took like two a game and I don't think they were the closest defender was always within like 16 feet of him. Yeah. I I am. I can't remember. I'm not here just to to slander Darren Collison, but I, uh, Tony started the train, so I may as well continue it. (laughs) Uh, Well, I, you know, Darren Carlson was fine. And uh, I mean, he's no Tyreek Evans, but he, he gets the job done. Yeah. that That's an error we can forget about for Pacers fans. But, um, but yeah, I, I think it's, I think Tony brought a great point of the, about Karis Levert because honestly, like, I, I haven't watched a ton of Karis. I've seen some and I've listened to other people talk about him. But if, if you can maybe give him more of a, that's why I kind of think him with the second unit could be beneficial, especially if you have him surrounded with guys like Justin and McDermott. Just just having those shooters out there with him running running the offense could be beneficial because of the guys he's passing to, and, and if and the Sabonis is still playing with the second unit as well, like those two in the pick and roll dribble handoff option, I think could be really lethal as well. So I just I, I think you gotta I think really when it comes to it, like I don't want Doug to leave at the end of this year. I know that he almost got traded, but I feel like he's just. He's a guy that you really need for someone that can really shoot the ball. And the Pacers don't have a lot of great, consistent three-point shooting. So that's why I'm more on a team. I want to see – I want Doug to play more. But at the same time, I mean, we saw on defense last night just his rotations are not good in those, in those like, trapping uh, defenses. I saw some, some clips from that. And, you know, it's, it, it's tough because there are a lot, of, a lot of guys on this team that need minutes. And – I just – you need shooting, and we haven't really gotten consistent shooting from Aaron or Edmund. And then, of course, TJ McConnell can't shoot the three as well either. So I just think that's why – Hey, TJ – And yet – TJ can shoot threes now, apparently, um, with his 17-motion <laughs> jumper. <laughs> oh, my goodness. What were you going to say, Rhett? I was just going to say that he, he closed out uh, – I think it was the second quarter, first quarter? No, yeah. It was Him quarter. and Domas back-to-back threes. Yeah, Domas finally hit a three too. I think it had been since the Pelicans three. game since he had hit, hit one. Three. Yeah, if you if you filter out the uh, the sample size, Domas is shooting seventy five percent on threes after last night. So <laughs> cut, cut those five games in there, but in a, yeah, if you, if you cut every game, yeah. But all right, guys. Well, I, I'm looking forward to these next upcoming games, and we got a couple series coming up against the Raptors and the Hornets, and we got the Magic, who got a game winning shot from Cole Anthony last night. So. Uh, I know that they're riding that high, beating the Minnesota Timberwolves with the game winner. But the Pacers desperately need to get back on the winning track, just because uh, if we if Miles going to play tomorrow, Tony, do we know that or not? 
Um, Bjorken didn't say he would play, but he did a lot of saying that he might play. So I kind of think he's going to, but, mm-hmm. uh, the injury report, they, they practiced late enough in the day that the injury report was not submitted for five thirty. So I don't know. I would, I would, I'm leaning yes, but I don't know the answer. Right. And, and I think that'll be the biggest difference because if you can have at least three starters out there for the season, instead of just two, that's going to make a big difference. And uh, Vucevic obviously is a really good center and a little bit underrated every single year. So can always He's use been insanely good. This year. Uh, uh, let, let me, let me correct you there, Alex. A lot of underrated. Every yeah, season. I know. Well, I just, the, the magic are just one of those teams. I just hate the way the roster's built. Uh, don't like all the all the pieces, and of course they've got some major injuries this year. Your favorite players on that team? What do you He's mean? He's not, not my favorite player. <laughs> Wait, who's, who? Aaron Gordon? He thinks Aaron Gordon's my favorite player. I, hey, I've been hearing a lot of I've been hearing a lot of Aaron Gordon to Boston recently. Uh, people have been saying. What does he that. do for Boston? I mean, like I guess, but is there one <laughs> picture of Nikola Vucevic in a 76ers jersey? There has to be. He was only yeah, he was only there for his rookie year. But yeah, I don't know if I've ever seen a picture of him on that team. <laughs> but yeah, Aaron Gordon, I mean, I think that he does provide good defense, but at the same time, it's just like his off ball defense I, is so bad. Uh, I know. But I, I feel like maybe if he's not with Orlando, it's different. I don't know. Yeah. He did have good defensive coaches in Clifford and Vogel and still was not any better. So maybe that's just wishful thinking. I know Tony is anti Aaron Gordon. So I, I got nothing to say. I, it might just be because our initials are the same. I don't know. Maybe that's why I like him. <laughs> I got nothing to say. But uh, <laughs> I share initials with uh, Tyree Evans, so I don't don't play the. <laughs> hey, when that signing happened, I thought it was, like I legit thought it was the best free agent signing. Yeah, everybody David. did. Um, yeah, I wanted JJ Redick over him. I won't lie. When that JJ Redick news came out that he uh, almost signed with us, I was disappointed. You know, you brought up McDermott. I'm springboarding off of Redick to get to McDermott. And I think the Pacers should be absolutely pissing themselves that the Cavs have a bunch of cap space this coming summer because the Cavs need shooters so bad, and McDermott would help them so much. So hey, they might have this to team's going to have to be a little bit worried about the Cavs moving like, forward. The Cavs are going to be good the, the next couple of years. Bag at uh, Dougie McBuckets. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. The Cavs yeah, are going to be really good. A little scary. Yeah. yeah. Well, we still got a pretty good squad. Got to keep it positive. We know Mark's from Ohio, so got to make sure we don't let him. I don't. I'm not a fan. <laughs> I just like basketball. <laughs> no, I'm just giving the hard time. No, I agree with the Cavs. I mean, that game last night was insane against the Nets. So Colin Sexton's really, really good. But um, as far as this podcast, we're going to wrap things up. Make sure you guys follow everybody on Twitter. Mark's at M. Schindler NBA. Tony's at T. East NBA. And Rhett's at Rhett underscore Bauer. I'm at Alex Golden NBA, and we will talk to y'all next week. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.